So I could end up potentially with these two pieces of information now being pulled out of my database, uh, passed through my embedding model, kind of in a reverse fashion, going back to natural language, to text. And then that would be added to the user's prompt and then passed to the model. Yeah. Okay, so this is interesting. So the vector database draws context out of what I have, puts it into my prompt before it gets passed to the large language model for the second run, basically, right? Because right. the first the run is is going to determine some keywords or whatever out of my natural language, right? Welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. This is Darren Pulsford, Chief Solution Architect, author, and most importantly, your host. On today's episode, Understanding Generative AI RAG Models with returning guest Eduardo Alvarez. Let's join this interview already in progress. This could be this could be pretty incredible. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking just internally, like our sales organization, we're constantly hunting and pecking for PowerPoint presentations. Um, <laughs> right, a customer says, "Oh, I have this problem." We go and we go and spend hours looking for, "Hey, who's working on this?" And there, so this could this could help um, us quite a bit find information faster because it's a more natural language. I don't need a query language. I could just ask it, hey, I have a customer with this problem. What should I tell them? Exactly. Exactly. And and you know that does bring us to a, a I think a very important topic is is that data environment before it goes into so let's talk a little bit about the uh the process of of how you get that data into that uh, okay database, yeah. right let's so uh, let's say for example that you have a, a knowledge base that's all in PDFs, right? You okay. could uh, scrape all the, the, the information off the PDS. You could then, um, uh, for example, filter out uh, irrelevant information. Like for, let's say, for example, in your PDS, you might have uh, subtitles or captions or particular like trademark information or copyright the license on the end. License right? stuff. Yeah. yeah. You just want to pull that out. You don't want any of that. You just want the, 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 the meat of the knowledge. You take that out, right? And then what you do is you pass that through an embedding model. Okay. Well, after you've gotten all your documents, you're going to pass it through that through an embedding model. But before you do that, you're going to chunk, you're going to chunk your data up. That chunking size is basically a certain number, for example, of characters that are going to be in every string that is then embedded into passed through your embedding and then put in a vector database. So let's see if I have another pen here. Uh, let's see. I'll search for one. Hopefully I do. I do. I, I have okay. a pen, but I can't. Send it you through can, the video. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, no, that one's not going to work. We're not there just yet, right? No, we'll get there soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so the idea is, for example, let's say you have uh, you know those set of documents, you process them to extract important information. Then you're going to chunk them up into little bite-sized pieces that you're going to pass them with something called an embedding model. That embedding model is going to transform those chunks of data into a vector, Okay. And then that vector is going to be placed inside of what's called the vector database. Per the name, it is a multi-dimensional database that stores vectors. If you remember your physics class in, in college or, or high school, a vector is just you know, a value with a particular direction, right? So in this case, for example, let's say that I have embedded uh, information about Intel's, uh, I don't know, a question about how to implement Intel's extension for PyTorch to optimize a model 
and uh, you know, and do automix precision training uh, in BFlow 16. So well, that's say, pretty. Uh, that's pretty complex. Very specific. Very specific. Yeah. Right. So I've extracted this information from the documentation on GitHub, um, and now that's this is what that vector looks like. Okay. And you can't see in 3D, but I can see in 3D because I'm in my space. But <laughs> imagine this is pointing in a particular direction. That's a vector in the vector database. And now a user would come in and ask a question um, about uh, how do I uh, optimize uh, my training uh, using lower precision data types uh, with PyTorch and Intel, right? So due to the, 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 the keywords that are in there, due to the how my embedding model and the quality of my embedding model, if it did this correctly, then when I pass the user's query through my embedding model and then I get another vector, that vector should be very close to that, that initial vector that, that has the oh. ins, that stored chunk of information, right? Now, there might be more vectors in that same space that have similar information. So let's say that it's something like this. Well, what I'm trying to do, what I'm going to end up doing is something similar to kind of like a nearest neighbor approach. And I'm going to say, okay, well, this one is the closest one, um, is the closest vector to my user's query vector. Uh, so I'm going to extract that information. But depending on how many uh, relevant pieces of information I'd like to extract, which is usually defined by a parameter called K, I will get top K, you know, number of, of retrievals from this database. So I can end up potentially with these two pieces of information now being Pulled out of my database, uh, passed through my embedding model, kind of in a reverse fashion, going back to natural language, to text. And then that would be added to the user's prompt and then passed to the model. Yeah. Okay, so this is interesting. So the vector database draws context out of what I have, puts it into my prompt before it gets passed to the large language model for the second run, basically, right? Because right. the first the run is is going to determine some keywords or whatever out of my natural language, right? Right, right. So the vector database itself won't be responsible for doing that. It will be the whole retrieval mechanism. The so retrieval you typically mechanism. do something. Yeah, so you have to do the similarity search, then you'll do like an extraction phase where you'll pull out the nearest, you know, the nearest neighbors to your to your uh, yeah. query vector. And then that will be translated back into natural language. And then there's something called re-ranking. If we have time, we can go into it. Uh, uh, but essentially, it's a process of defining, you know, which, you know, out of those two vectors that I've extracted, which are the most important ones uh, that will add the most value to the final results or that are most similar to the actual question. Yeah. So, so this is actually pretty cool because I'm not retraining the model. No. I'm just giving the model more information based right. off of my context that, that I established with my, uh, with my RAG, right, for, mm -hmm. with my vector database. So this is actually pretty cool because um, I could put anything in my RAG as long as I've created the vectors mm -hmm. and then ask the same question of my LLM and get a different response back based off of the context that I established in my RAG. Right, right. And that's a very important, again, you go, we always like, uh, I knew this was, you know, when we started talking about, you know, my, my background and the data, you know, understanding the data environment, that's where this becomes very important. I consulted with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with a company uh, before coming to Intel uh, about something, you know, you know, very similar. That's when RAG was very, very new. 
And they were basically trying to implement RAG. Um, and they essentially had taken uh, all of their data, like all of their like knowledge in PDFs from like the past 10 years of their products. Uh, 80% of those products didn't exist anymore, but they had just taken it. They just grabbed it everything. As it was, no pre-processing, dumped it in a database and were expecting it to work. Um, not to mention, you know, if you think about just almost two years ago, there wasn't nearly the amount of open source kind of LLM power that we have today. So they were working with something very simple back then. So I can't knock them too much. But at the end of the day, um, that data environment, the quality of the data, the freshness of the data are really what drives RAG. It's not at this point because we're taking the model for its language modeling capabilities. As long as you, you surpass a certain threshold of natural language modeling capability, um, you're going to be fine. Uh, and you really are just depending on how good is that, how, how good is that database? How good of a job have you done? Um, with your embedding model, you know, have you selected the right embedding model? Have you selected the right chunk size? Is your data current and fresh? Um, and that's the most, that becomes the most important part. Yeah. So I, I can't take, there's no super easy button on this. It's easier than, than training an LLM. It's more predictable and more controllable because more for example, okay. uh, Darren, like if you take, um, if I take information about old products, and like, let's say I, I, I train a uh, 2024.Q1, you know, version of, of my model. I fine tune that, right? With all of the information about my, my institution. Um, and that's, you know, that version of that model. How do I make that model forget this quote, like information about this quarter when oh, it's no can. longer relevant in Q4? Yeah. Like, you can. Yeah. There are ways to perform something you know, perform model forgetting, but it's, it's a, it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not a it's not process. It's not straightforward. Yeah. It's not trivial. So uh, one of the great things about this is that as soon as the information is no longer relevant, you can just remove it from your database and that's it. Right. That's, wow. that's extremely wow. powerful. Right. Yeah. That, so this is interesting because it's, it's using some traditional um, data, um, a analytics techniques, vector databases for search have been around for a long time. Exactly. Right. So we're using some traditional uh, data analytics in conjunction with LLM to create an easier way to interact with the traditional data analytics models. Right. Right. And I think it's that familiarity that really attracts people to RAG. It's that control. Everybody wants control over their data. Everybody right. wants uh, that, uh, you know, to feel that the exposure their data has to the outside world or even their internal organization is something that they can, con they, that, you know, that they have uh, full jurisdiction over. Uh, something that you can't really control uh, potentially, again, when you try to explore some of the other non-deterministic methods to, again, perform fine-tuning. It's not one of, the, I, I have said in the past that the ultimate, like, superpower is, like, uh, taking, um taking a model, fine-tuning it on information that has a longer shelf life, uh, that you know has a long shelf life. Things that are so critical to your operations that they will not change uh, in any you know meaningful amount of time. Uh, short, sorry, in any short period of time. And then using that model to support your rank. There you get like ultimate alignment, right? Uh, uh, gotcha. And so that's, a, yeah. a good case on that could be uh, law. Yeah. There are established yeah. laws, right, that 
change very never right yeah. fine-tune on the constitution and you know <laughs> and, and, and then as on the more thing yeah yeah i gotcha all right and that would prevent that would prevent some of the crazy things that have been happening in law where people are <laughs> asking chat gpt and it's just creating case law out of out of thin air um right this would give it a little bit more validity so rag does a couple things breaks down barriers to entry Mm -hmm. I can do this in I can do this in an afternoon or or a, a couple days instead of months. Um, gives me higher reliability of the responses. Yes, no. It's fair. No, that's fair. Absolutely fair. Yeah. So more trusting. I can I can trust it a little bit more, um, and then also protects my data. Absolutely. Yeah. That last one's a very important one, right? Because you might not want to ship your data externally to fine tune a model of, you know, you just don't let it leave your premise. You know, you can yeah. keep it. I, I, especially top secret data. We deal with a lot of government, right? Oh, I can't have this data. Yeah. Let's put all of our targeting algorithms up into the cloud and see what happens. That's, <laughs> that's not going to work. Right. 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 Or, right. or what is it when we watch uh, mission impossible, they're always uh, watching out for the list, right? They're always trying to get the lists because it has right. everyone's... <laughs> right, I don't want that out, out in the open. Uh, no, no, so. absolutely not. You know, data environments with LLMs are extremely sensitive, particularly when they have, uh, you know, uh, uh, personal identifiable information about users. Uh, one of the really interesting applications uh, that I've seen uh, that is is very powerful from a data privacy perspective, but also just drives an incredible amount of of um, yeah, of just unique uh, value creation uh, from RAG specifically is like for example uh, tying like creating like new generation recommendation systems from RAG where uh, you can retrieve specific information about certain users their their, their search history uh, on your website, their buying behavior on your website, and then use oh, it to wow. drive uh, recommendations in the future. Like for example, um, you have all this knowledge about a user's history with your, with your products, um, and you have that stored in a database. And when they go to ask a question, uh, you can retrieve information about their previous products. Like, hey, remember you, uh, as, let's say an example, let's say an example. Let's say you and your wife share an Amazon account. Right. And uh, you're asking a question because you don't know what kind of filter to buy for your refrigerator. Um, and then it's like, hey, uh, remember, you bought this refrigerator back, this refrigerator filter back then. And actually, your wife just ordered one yesterday. Are you sure so you, you still need to order it? it? Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, that kind of and stuff is very. I don't powerful. even have to go and look for the model number for my refrigerator to go look up the right price. Or the right okay. product. Because Think about how that, know that information. How how you have like the marriage of uh, your private user information plus the large database of institutional knowledge tied into RAG. So, for example, you can retrieve vector. Let's say you have two different vector spaces or vector databases. One of them is about your private user information, and the other one is about uh, you know all of the products on Amazon. Let's say, for example, right. Uh, well, when you ask a question, first thing you're going to do is you're going to search this vec this first vector database for you know information that's relevant, be you know to your user um, uh, about you know related to the query that you just asked. You're also going to do the same thing and search it on the other side uh, on the greater institutional database of all the products on Amazon. You can take context from both 
in order to enrich the response from the model. And I think when you start looking at those multi-database oh, wow. approaches and environments, it starts to get to really exciting because you're well, like, yeah, wow, so I can... Because there's so privacy here. This this database doesn't touch that. Only person who has access to this is you as the user, right? So you can you can tie in all this richness of information, these different data environments, and have complete control over you know uh, the access to each one on an, on a kind of discrete basis, and that's super exciting, right? So th this this shows me that I can have multi rag. Multi-rag environments, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, multi yeah. and multiple LLMs that have been fine-trained. In fact, absolutely. there's rumors out there that ChatGPT4 is actually several models, like 11 different models. With Without a doubt. In there. Yeah, most likely, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the rumors. So you see us moving in this direction where I don't have big, massive LLMs that I have combinations of large or small language models, maybe even, or more context um, aware models that are augmented with multiple rags and based off of questions it will it will build a results coming back through different chains of of rags is is that something you see happening yeah i think i think the uh the complexity and typically you know this is called like lm chains um as, as what a lot of people call them is like using multiple models in conjunction with each other to support a pipeline of it that that essentially is your user experience with your application if you think i have a uh, uh, a, a company that uh, I've uh, I've worked with here at Intel. Their name's Spikey AI, and they're part of our uh, liftoff program for startups. And uh, I met them back in Boston at AI Summit. And when I sat down with them, uh, really, I, when I sat down with them and talked through kind of similar conversation that we're having right now, it was really insightful for me because, like, wow, like I do this from a solution design perspective as Intel. Uh, but listening to companies that are implementing this, you know, in the real world every single day, um, you see that it's not just talk. This is the right way to go about this. People are uh, using fit for purpose large language models for different parts of their application. It's not a one one model solves all potentially. And it's not really because it wouldn't make sense. Like if you just take a super large model and say, OK, this is the one I want to use. It could potentially solve all of your problems, you know, maybe with some tweaks. You could just solve with that one super large model, but it doesn't optimize uh, every step. You don't need that mega large model in certain places. You're going to have compute memory waste. So uh, we always talk about heterogeneous computing, but then you have heterogeneous LLM distributed architecture. Yeah, you have heterogeneous. Well, right? Yeah, this is in, this is very fascinating to me because um, it again decreases the barrier to entry. I don't need a thousand machine, you know, all running GPU um, hosted model. I don't need that. I can have a bunch of small LLMs um, around with rags and augmented and have context around them. So this brings up a whole, uh, a whole new uh, area of research and development that I think is going right. to be very fascinating. How do yeah, I manage absolutely. the data going through these things and the uh, veracity of data going through them uh, is yeah. going to be an interesting aspect as well. Absolutely. If you read any of like my recent uh, kind of content that I released over the past, like, I don't know, like six to seven months. Uh, well, you released really it on focused, Medium, right? That's your On Medium, medium that's where I write. Yeah. So uh, I really, uh, I, I like to talk about... Uh, 
success with generative AI and AI in general, always from an operational perspective. Um, I think about uh, when technologies become very democratized, really it's the operational excellence that helps people succeed. Uh, if you think about an example like, um, like uh, I was using the example of Airbnb, like when you have, uh, when Airbnb came into play, it, it, it uh, came into being, uh, anybody could have their own hotel, right? So when you democratize the ability to, 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 to host, uh, you, you know, to, to have a, uh, you know, to have your own mini hotel potentially, then it's really who can execute on their hotel the best because now everybody has access to the same tool. Everybody has the booking capabilities. Everybody yeah, has, right, the, right. you know, all this peripheral technology is taken care of. Now, what do I do to stand out with, you know, in comparison to my competition? You can, that breaks down to operational excellence. How do you, you know, uh, how do you manage that operation so that your margins are the best uh, so that, you know, you do have the right people cleaning your house. How much do they charge you? How often are they going? Uh, you know, what are you including uh, as part of your package in order to stand out compared to other people? Is that a competitive, does, how does that impact your bottom line, et cetera? So when I think about AI and, and, and AI in production, um, I talk about operational centric AI being a big focus this year, um, moving from other uh, focus areas of AI. Because now that we all have access to all these technologies, a lot of it's being done in abstraction. It really does feel like it's, quote unquote, easier than it's ever been. Um, it's about how are good people going to execute. So that's where we start talking about optimizing the system as a whole. You know, what LMs make sense in, in these places? RAG. When to use great, RAG. You know, yeah. when, to use, when to use RAG, when not to use it. Uh, when to use a heterogeneous architecture, not only for your compute, but for your LLMs. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting uh opportunities and optimizations that you can do architecturally across your application now that a lot of this has been democratized, right? Now that it's you know, a lot. This, this feels a lot like the late 90s with um, uh, Sec DevOps. People don't think that DevSecOps happened back then, but it did. Um, we were configuration management engineers or build meisters. That's what we were called back then. That's how I, I got my career started was doing that. Because of the operational excellence, I under all the tools were out there. I understood how they all fit together. Exactly. Exactly. And so you're saying the same thing. We're going to start seeing an emergence and of of real data ops and AI ops blending together um, to make this real. Because you're creating pipelines and of of data and interaction with different LLMs and rag models. This is going to be exciting. This, this is exciting. No wonder yeah, your, your hand is stuck <laughs> on the rocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this no, is exciting times. Fun stuff. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's a good place to be. Yeah. All right. So, Eduardo, if people want to find out more and follow you, you you're on um, Eduardo Alvarez on Medium. I've seen yes. that out there. You, you post frequently. It's and good stuff, by the way. Very, very good stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. Um, and if they want to find out more, where else can they look? Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I, uh, I'm not a. Uh, I'm pretty open to just having you know conversations and chat. If you want to just you know you know explore you know just random topics about the technology in general, I'm happy to 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 you know to just chat. Well, <laughs> we're most definitely going to have you come back on the show. Um, because awesome. uh, you're able to to bring some really these are really complex things. You've done a great job at bringing it up to a level where you know a neophyte like myself, because I haven't <laughs> been in the AI world for a long time, 
I abandoned it to go do other things, you know, 30 years ago. Um, so you, you bring it back to, to something that is usable. And I like how you said before, you're standing on the shoulders of giants that went before you that worked on all these tough problems. Now you get right. to take advantage of, of the ease and create even more great technology around it. So absolutely, uh, absolutely. great stuff, Eduardo. Thanks again for coming on the show. No, it was lovely. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and embrace the digital revolution.